This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Osage author Chelsea Hicks includes her tribal language throughout the short stories assembled in her book, A Calm and Normal Heart. She's winning praise for her debut collection described as both dark and humorous. And a new mystery novel, Dance of the Return, by Choctaw author Devin Mihisua brings back Detective Monique Bluehawk for another suspenseful and supernatural adventure. That's what's new on our Native Bookshelf. Join us after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. This election season, South Dakota is starting to implement voting access reforms in light of a recent settlement with tribes. As Mike Moen reports, advocates hope there's proper follow through. In the settlement announced last month, the state agreed to designate a voting rights coordinator to ensure statewide compliance by agencies through mandatory training and monitoring. It's the result of a court ruling this spring that said the state violated the National Voter Registration Act. Brett Healy of the Native American Advocacy Group Four Directions says the situation deserves scrutiny. The unfortunate thing is even when things get won in court, there's always recidivism, it seems to be, by public officials. He points to South Dakota's long history of involvement in similar cases. The latest one centered around lack of opportunities to register to vote at motor vehicle and public assistance offices near tribal lands. The Secretary of State says a key change since then includes updated forms at driver's license locations. Other key reforms will be addressed after the November vote. Healy stresses that restricting voting access for Native Americans is still a problem in many states. His organization is assisting with a new lawsuit over voting opportunities for a tribe in northeastern Nevada. We need to make sure that everybody's got a shot at granting that consent to be governed at the election ballot box. As for the South Dakota case, the state has until early December to show that core reforms have been implemented. The Secretary of State says they've identified a person to be voting rights coordinator and are making preparations for that role to begin. That's Mike Moen reporting. A new ABC drama premiered Thursday, Alaska Daily, set in an Alaskan newspaper starring Hilary Swank. The show involves missing and murdered indigenous women cases. KTOO's Rhonda McBride talks with two Alaska Native writers. The common thread between Andrew McLean and Vera Starbard, a desire to tell authentically Alaskan stories. I really hope people see in this, in some way, the Alaska that I love. Vera Starbard is a Hlinkit playwright whose career took off when she was tapped to write episodes for the PBS hit children's series, Molly from Denali. Her writing partner, Andrew McLean, is Inupiat, known for his award-winning film from 2011, On the Ice. And even though he's familiar with making movies, McLean says nothing prepared him for a TV series like this. Somebody compared it to building a train while it's hurtling down the track. And I think that's kind of right. For the past few months, both Starbard and McLean have been sequestered in what they call the writing room in downtown New York City, where they work with producers and writers that they describe as some of the best in the business. 
But even so, it hasn't been easy to teach them about Alaska. The need to kind of educate and to make sure that we're being truthful about our depictions of so many different communities, so many different peoples and tribes and, and ethnicities and so many different lived realities, it can be overwhelming. That probably causes us to lose the most sleep. That causes me to I was literally to about to say the lose sleep. the most sleep over yeah. yes. McLean says millions of people will watch this show powerful opportunity to educate and a powerful opportunity just to to reach out and to kind of tell tell our stories hopefully tell our stories in a, in a truthful authentic way i have such a strong belief and it's so much of the reason i do the work that i do that alaska native people have amazing wonderful beautiful extraordinary things to give to the world i'm rhonda mcbride and i'm antonia gonzalez National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support by Vision Maker Media's ninth biennial Vision Maker Film Festival, celebrating together. The Vision Maker Film Festival will present five weeks of indigenous films at visionmakermedia.org, October 10th to November 11th, 2022. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. The air is turning cooler, it's that time of the year to get serious about books. There are a number of new books out by Native authors, and we're going to feature a couple of them today. We'll also get some suggestions for other books you might be interested in. We have three strong Native women writers for today's Native Bookshelf show. They all tackle tribal traditions up against contemporary colonialism, and they each have intimate insights into personal relationships, and they are all also lovers of Native literature. Of course, we want to hear from our listeners, too. What titles are on your Native bookshelf? Who are your favorite Native authors? If you are a Native bookworm, we want to hear from you today. 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us first today from Moscow, Idaho, we have Tiffany Midge. She's a poet, a humorist, a columnist, an author, and a self-described lit nerd. She's Hunkpapa Lakota. Tiffany, welcome to Native America Calling. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. I'm excited to talk books today. And tell us, what have you been reading lately? What haven't I been reading lately? I've always got stacks of book literally, like everywhere. Um, it's as well as like Native American, um, you know, Indian novels, um, which is kind of what I was focusing on today. Um, well, but your two presenters that you have today are wonderful, um, of course, absolutely wonderful. And their new books are doing really well. Um, and I'm really excited about those those books. Um, but there's other things coming up on the pike, too, or things that have just come out that I'm really excited about. Um, like Bojan Lewis, 
um, he's Navajo, and he has a book of short stories called Stinking Bell. Um, and I don't know, he's sort of like the dream catcher in the rye sort of voice for me. Um, it was just sort of this edgy, um, offbeat kind of um, you know voice of you know alienation and, and angst. <laughs> um, and um, Andrea Robert Rogers, she's Cherokee. Um, and she had just released a, a book of short stories that is horror, that deals with heart, you know, like vampires and, uh, you know, chain shifters and uh, werewolves. And I mean, it's really exciting. She's a Cherokee author. Um, I think one of the books that's super exciting right now is Ramona Emerson's um, She's a Navajo. And she wrote this book called Shudder. Um, out by Saga Press, and um, it's about like a forensic photographer that can talk to the dead. Um, really edgy stuff. Um, it sounds but, like yeah, the Navajos. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's very um, it has all these details of like crime scenes and road accidents, and I mean, it's just it's really wonderful. Um, I could go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, I mean, it sounds like there's such a wide range of, of Native literature right now. I mean, there's humor, there's some of this darker stuff that you're describing, and just uh, just so many Native people that are writing, and, and fiction, of course. I mean, that's the focus of our show today. All of these, all, all of the authors, you as well, are fiction writers, and um, I want to talk about that, Tiffany, and why is it important uh, as Native people that we have fiction literature? Um, I I can't really attest to that books in themselves. I mean, basically, stories are the backbone of Native American culture, right? I mean, we're storytellers, and you know, every everybody will say that for you. But um, let's see. Like for instance, one of my big contentions, my bones of contention, is the fact that for so many you know decades and decades and decades, ever since the Native American literature that, that non-native writers have sort of um, you know had the <clears throat> had the bulk of all of the novels that are being published um, and when I see books like Shudder and when I see, see books like you know Devin's books and and this other Marcy Rendon she's um, white earth Anishinaabe and she has a mystery series um, that's doing really well so when, when I see these books coming out I think well goodbye Tony Hillerman um, yeah, he doesn't get to reign supreme as the leading representative of Southwestern life anymore. You know, like, she's not native. Um, and with so few indigenous books written by indigenous writers, it's, I mean, it's unacceptable for non-native writers to, to write these books and for publishers to publish them and for readers to even buy them. Um, up until very recently, and I mean very, very recently, this was how things were. Um, well, and Tiffany, I'm, I'm sorry, I just want to... Yeah, and I want to remember that. I mean, because Hillerman is making a huge resurgence with the Darkwind series. And, and what's your thought on that, that, you know, he's still being celebrated um, all these years later with this new series? I know, and it's really weird to me, especially in light of the fact that there are so many amazing, wonderful books that you know, are talking about really authentic things that are, you know, are, you know, entrenched within the culture that people like Hillerman wouldn't have any, you know, understanding of and shouldn't even really be talking about, you know, it's just, it's not his culture. 
Um, and I watched that series, and yeah, I had a good time watching it. You know, it made a lot of people upset because of the representation, um, and, you know, and just the errors and the, you know, cultural um, inaccuracies and things like that. But, I mean, it was still a good show. But um, hopefully we'll see more, diff- you know, more content coming out that's from Native perspectives, that's authentic from Native perspectives. Okay. Well, Tiffany, uh, you also have something new to share with us today, an audiobook? Um, I could I could say that I have an audiobook that came out. Yeah. Um, that's a long <laughs> okay. time coming and finally and finally um, it was produced and read by this lovely art, um, actress um, named Charlotte Flight and it's wonderful and she's wonderful and um, I hope people check it out. Yeah. Well, can you tell us more about it? I mean, what's the story? Oh, um, <laughs> um, it's it's an audio of a book that came out um, in 2019, late 2019. It's a book of essays, humorous essays, and um, and uh, satire mostly. Um, and it's called uh, "Bury My Heart at Chuck E. Cheese's." Um, a lot of people really like that title. <laughs> My daughter <laughs> would love that, that title. <laughs> I know people seem to have like a strange affinity to the Chuck E. Cheese franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I've never actually. It's not even a book about Chuck E. Cheese's. That's what's funny. Um, but it's a series of essays and, and humorous things, satire, political sort of commentary. You know, sort of a la McSweeney's, um, that kind of thing. Um, but just all kinds of stuff in there, um, just sort of the, my daily life and experiences going on in, in the world. Um, yeah, so the audio came out just recently. Um, it took a long time for it to come out, is what I'm saying. But I'm glad that it is, and people really like to, to listen to books I hear. Um, I haven't got onto that bandwagon yet, so <laughs> I don't even, <laughs> I can't even listen to it. It's like, you know, being myself on film or something. Ah. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Well, um, you know, all of our guests today are, are Native women writers. And, and Tiffany, are more opportunities than ever before for Native women who want to write? Oh, absolutely. It's like, it's, yeah, sky's the limit, really. I mean, don't ever, you know, hesitate to put your work out there um, because there's people that want to read it now. Um, and I say now because, you know, like for decades, people struggled to get their work out there. Publishers just weren't interested. You know, there was just like, you know, a, a few Native writers, like a handful of Native writers that were, you know, publishing with big five presses. And, you know, and it was unheard of really to have any more than that. Um, and nowadays, um, they're signing people all over the place. All kinds of stuff is coming out. It's pretty exciting. Tiffany, I think so many people have a book inside of them. I've, I've, for years, have played around with ideas of writing books. I, I can just never like really get it going. I can. Like, what's the first step if somebody's sitting here thinking, "Geez, there's a book I've always wanted to write. I really need to write it." How do they start? I think you just have to, you know, follow through with the thing that most brings you joy, um, and the subject matters that you're most obsessed with, um, and that's a really good. Um, a really good um, th- uh, thing to follow, truth to follow, um, is just basically, you know, write what brings you the most joy, um, mm-hmm. what interests you the most. Um, I've yeah, heard it said that, uh, yeah, and I've heard it said that that the, the novel, even though it's a work of fiction, um, there's a lot of 
audio, you know, audiographical type of content that writers put in novels. Is, is that true, do you think? Do you put a lot of your own experiences and a lot of your own um, lived events, do they somehow kind of translate into some of the novels and some of the works and short stories that you, you've worked on over the years? Um, for me, yeah, but it also sort of, you know, idealized conclusions or idealized sort of lived experiences, um, just playing around with those. And, you know, the stuff that I write is a lot more humorous in aspects. So I guess I just wish that life was more, you know, like a fun, um, uh, you know, situation comedy, you know, where everybody always says the right thing or something. <laughs> There's always like a lot more great jokes. <laughs> Um, yeah, for, yeah. For these other kinds of books, I don't know. I mean, it just it just depends on you know what one one's particular um, perspective is. Um, you know, you hear the adage, "Right, what do you know?" You know, and it's just like so cliche. <laughs> so I just didn't <laughs> want to have to say that, but um, that's kind of sort of a truism. <laughs> okay. Well, we are speaking with self-confessed lit nerd Tiffany Midge, and, and she's got a lot going on, a new audio book. She's talking a little bit about novels and fiction and the autobiographical components that go into some of these works. And um, lots to talk about here today. We've got two other authors on the show. They're going to share some recently published books that they have out. So a lot of fun, and we'd sure like to hear from some of our listeners today. So 1-800-996-2848. Tell us what you like about books. What are some of your favorite books? Who are some of your native authors? We really want to know. And that number again, 1-800-996-2848. Back right after break. Monday is a federal holiday, and Indigenous Peoples Day is building momentum every year. In addition to the cities and states that have celebrated Indigenous people for years, there are a number of new celebrations to add. We'll hear about the events, big and small, all around the country on the next Native America Calling. Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. Work with experts in the field to form strategies and build relations to better the future of repatriation at the 8th Annual Repatriation Conference, October 11th, 12th, and 13th, hosted by the Association on American Indian Affairs and the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi Indians. Learn more at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. Welcome back to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with some Native authors today about their recently published books. Are you reading something new from a Native author? Give us a call. Tell us about it. We want to know. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. This is a Native Bookshelf show today. Joining us now from Baldwin City, Kansas, is Devin Maihisua. She's a Cora Lee Beers Price Professor in the Hall Center for the Humanities at the University of Kansas, KU. She's an enrolled member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. Welcome back, Devon, and um, congratulations on your new novel, Dance of the Returned. Hey, thanks, Sean, and hi, Tiffany and Chelsea. I really appreciate the invitation to, to be able to talk here. 
Well, we really are grateful for you coming on the show and um, this new book. It's a detective story. Who doesn't like detective stories? Tell us more about it, Devin. Well, you know, it's kind of hard to describe. I'll, I'll do my best. You know, this is this is my seventh novel, I guess, my 19th book. Um, this is the third in a series that features Detective Monique Bluehawk. And the first book was Document of Expectations, which was a murder in, in, um, in an anthropology department. And then the novel that came out last year, Hatak Witches, was a murder mystery in a museum archives, but it also included theft of uh, native skeletal remains. And then Dance of the Returned, um, you know, this was published by University Press, which means that it had to go through a review process. So I had three people had to, you know, approve this. And one of the one of the readers kind of described it like this. I, I think this is maybe the best way. It's mystery crime. It's speculative fiction. It's alternative history. It's sci-fi. <laughs> Um, it's native lit, and <clears throat> I will say that it gets into a theme that most uh, natives think about a lot. You know, that is the realities of our past, and then we have possibilities for the future. But can we combine those things, and is time linear? So um, that's being kind of vague, but but I think it touches on all the issues that really, really do concern me. So mm -hmm. that's it in a nutshell, I guess. Okay. Yeah, it sounds really fascinating. And we actually uh, have a caller on the line we're going to go to quickly here. Mark, listening on KNBA in Anchorage, Alaska. Mark, thanks for calling in today. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot. I just wanted to bring up a book I read. It's called Kabluna, K-A-B-L-O-O-N-A. I don't know the author. I read the biography of the author. He was a rich Italian from a rich Italian family that made silk factories, and he'd travel the world and make set up silk factories. Anyway, it was his experience in the, you know, Arctic, Arctic Canada up there, uh, and he just related what happened. He, he met a priest up there and traveled by dog sled, and anyway, and having worked up on the North Slope, it just kind of struck me as how close to those times we really are. That was in like 1930. And, uh, anyway, it was a fascinating read, yeah. Okay, <laughs> and I yeah, like books. yeah. I probably have too many of them. <laughs> We're just, I, I get my producers are just looking it up right now online. It sounds like the, uh, a French author, not an Italian. Uh, was a oh, okay. Cabluna is the book. So, uh, well, Mark, thanks for calling in and sharing that information. That sounds like an interesting read there. Appreciate it. Let's go back to Devin now. And Devin, um, Dance of the Return. So you mentioned earlier um, alternative history, a little bit of sci-fi, native lit. So it just sounds really, really intriguing. And, and you have this character, Detective Monique Bluehawk, and she's part of a series. And tell us more about Monique Bluehawk. Well, you know, I like to create positive role models. And I am very much... I'm very much concerned, you know, about all the issues that Native people are facing today. And I've written an awful lot about, you know, racism and stereotypes, genocide, treaty abrogation, health disparities, uh, repatriation, poverty, missing and murdered Indigenous women. And I feel like, you know, as a writer, I have a responsibility, even in, you know, when I'm writing fiction, to project, you know, positivity and strength. Um, and accuracy and how Native women really are and how they can be. 
And so I created Monique Blue Hawk because she is a problem solver. You know, she finds herself, you know, sort of embroiled in, in a lot of these issues that I just mentioned. But, you know, she's got her issues. You know, she's got, she's maybe a little addicted to beer and she's got a hair trigger temper and, you know, she's got some insecurities. But I am just hoping, you know, to present somebody that people might say, you know, I really like her. I'd like to be like her. Um, because we don't always see that sometimes. And so I just wanted to create a, a role model. And so that's, that's Monique for me. Okay. Well, can you tell us, Devon, I mean, just a, a brief overview of, of maybe one or two mysteries that Monique Blue Hawk has solved? Well, <laughs> yeah, she, you know, in the first one, uh, Document of Expectations, it was a murder of a Native man in an anthropology department. And this just becomes very complicated because it really is based on, you know, events and people that I have known in the academy for the last 30 years. So we write what we know. And so she had to try to figure out, you know, not only who, you know, who is the murderer, but why did this happen? And then she comes across this whole cast of characters of, you know, racism and sexism involved in the academy and so she's also trying to figure out what the heck is going on you know in academia because that is a strange place as probably many of your listeners know so that that was you know the first thing that she did and then with the talk witches she had to deal with um one of the entities within our, our cosmology stories um shape-shifting owls you know, among uh, many tribes, you know, owls are seen as maybe the harbingers of bad news or death, or even, you know, they can change shape and are witches. So she, that's who she came up against, you know, in um, Hatak Witches. And then mm. in Dance of the Return, she's trying to figure out what happened to this missing guy. And then she takes part in a dance and a renewal dance and then she goes through an experience that she never thought she would you know it's kind of violence and and peacekeeping so she's kind of all over the place i guess well what i find really intriguing about this this character and the more i learn about your writing devon is um it sounds like there's a lot of authenticity when you write. I mean, you're describing a character that has struggles, that has issues, and, and some of the contemporary events and issues that Native people face today. You include that in your writing. You're passionate about that. And um, what does it mean to you to have that authenticity in your work, and, and why is that important for you? Well, you know, of course, all the nonfiction works have great personal meaning to me. You know, they're, they're, those are issues that I've been involved in, things that have affected my tribe, my family. So those issues show up in my fiction works. And, you know, I should say that, you know, after, you know, writing all of, about all these topics and I teach about them, it, it gets exhausting. You know, you bring it home with you and you need relief. <laughs> you know, I need relief from it. So I write fiction so that I can create endings that I like, because I can't really do mm. that when I'm when I'm writing nonfiction. And and this is, you know, I I greatly appreciate Elizabeth Cook Lynn when she talks about how important it is that we have honesty in our writing. And 
I, that's why I think a lot of these Native writers, you know, they're so successful is because they are writing what they know. And when you listen to them talk and when you listen to them read, like the Oak Lake writers that I listened to at the South Dakota Book Festival last week, there's a lot of tears, you know, when people read. It's because it has personal meaning. And they are looking at problem solving. And um, so, yeah, I, I just creating happy endings, but I also try to be truthful. I really like that. Fiction is a way to create endings that you like, that you want. Really fascinating, Devin. Tell us more about the uh, the book festival up in South Dakota last week. It was wonderful. And, you know, it was wonderful on so many levels because oftentimes, first off, we don't get invited to a lot of book festivals. And sometimes when we do, it's very um, segregated, I guess. And what I really liked about this this one, and it was so wonderful, was all the Native writers just came together, and we all got to know each other, and we attended each other's sessions, you know, standing room only, and it was just so heartening. You know, sometimes you go into an event because you're, you feel kind of unloved or unwanted or whatever, and here it was just completely the opposite. And um, I wish that Elizabeth, you know, Cook Lynn had been there. You know, I think she was there in spirit, but I just wish more of these uh, book fests could could be like that. Who were some of the other Native authors present? Well, I did a session with uh, Gordon Henry, and so we talked about, actually our session was authenticity in um, literature. And so, oh my gosh, so you're asking me who all was there. I need to, you know, I would need to get my list. I, I did a session um, with Diane Wilson. And uh, Tashi uh, Barando, we talked about seeds. That was that was a different different session. Um, oh my gosh, let's let's see. I'm going. Let's see. Craig Howe and Nick Estes. Um, actually, I've got my Facebook page up here. Joel Waters, uh, Lanika Lee, Gabrielle, Atadius Guskun. Um, so yeah, there was just I don't know. So, it, it was fun. Yeah. It sounds like it was really, really well attended. And um, let's go back, Devin, to Dance of the Return. And, you know, I, I like what I'm hearing, this whole, you know, supernatural approach and the sci-fi element. And what draws you to that kind of supernatural type of writing? Well, you know, every tribe has their stories, cosmology stories, and they have entities that they can talk about or not talk about. And I, I think they're interesting because they're unpredictable, and, you know, again, I, I write fiction, you know, because it's kind of a stress release, but I also read fiction <laughs> as a stress relief. I was talking to, you know, um, Andy yesterday about this, that we like to, to read and listen and watch things that are different from what we have to deal with every day. And I just find horror and strange things like The X-Files just to be fascinating. <laughs> You know, um, cryptozoology, things like that, because you don't really you don't really know. You sort of see them out of the side of your eye. And you look and maybe they're there. and Maybe they're not. But again, you know, the things that I write about, these are based on my my tribal stories. So I don't pull them, you know, out of the air. And, you know, nobody has complained about it, you know, and they seem, you know, you know, my fellow tribes, people seem to really enjoy it. So. 
Well, you know, it's interesting, Dave, because we were talking earlier about uh, Tony Hillerman. Tiffany was mentioning how, you know, some of the things he wrote about and he took some liberties and, 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 and many Native people felt he went too far in some cases. And how, how, how do you approach some of these topics when you deal with some of these elements that might be sensitive, supernatural issues and things like that with some tribes? How do you approach those in a way that you're sure you're not going to tick anybody off? Well, you have to really pay attention to, you know, Tony Hillerman and that whole history of him writing, because I taught high school in Grants, New Mexico, when those books first came out. And the Navajo students that I had did not like those books. And, you know, since that time, you know, I, I also lived in Flagstaff and talked to a lot of Hopi people. They didn't care for them either. And when they say they don't like them and they tell you why, you need to sit up and pay attention. And if they don't like it, then stop doing it. And that goes for people who write about them today. So there's certain things that you should know if you are part of that tribe and culture that you don't talk about, that you don't write about. You just don't do it. And so I'm very mindful of things that I should not be mentioning. And I make it very clear in my books, you know, I always have an epilogue where I say, I'm not telling you anything that you probably can't find out yourself. You know, mm. I would not reveal any ceremonies. I wouldn't be mentioning names that I shouldn't be. But I think that if you're not a member of that group, of that culture, um, and you do things like that, <laughs> you know, that's where you get in trouble. And I think that what I find is really unfortunate is people hear the objections, yet they continue to do it. Right, right, yeah. Well, like we mentioned, I mean, this huge resurgence now with dark winds and, um, you know, all these Hillerman stories, um, you know, have been made into films and, and television shows. And that begs the question, Devin, um, Monique Bluehawk, any chance we'll see her on the big screen anytime soon? Well, I hope so. Um, those those three novels that I mentioned, plus Roads of My Relations, which was my first novel that I wrote when I was 40, um, those have all been optioned now um, for film and for streaming. And so I can't say a whole lot about that other than that's being developed right now. So we'll see, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, too. Congratulations, Devin. That's like super, super exciting. Um, well, yeah, we'll just wait and see then, I guess. We'll just <laughs> keep it under wraps for now. Devin, all really exciting. Um, just a really interesting conversation with our authors today. And folks, the number to call, 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to share your thoughts, your comments. Devin, um, what are you reading right now? I'm curious. Any, what's, what's your book right now? What's on your bookshelf or what's on, your, on, the, on the coffee stand next to your, uh, your, your couch in the living room? Well, you know what? I run about two hours every morning. I get up before the sun, and I have hundreds of books on Audible. <laughs> and so I listen to mysteries. I listen to science fiction. I listen to I'll, – I'll be listening to one book, and then I'll switch to another book. So I am listening to – right now, I am listening to Savage Sun, Um has nothing to do with with uh, native people jack carr you know he's got a series and mm -hmm. i listen to craig johnson i like uh his longmire series i listen to some really goofy romance <laughs> stuff <laughs> but but yeah and i also i you know i might listen to to horror sci-fi you know my favorite author really is nelson demille and i'm eagerly awaiting 
his next thing. And the Sandman just came out with Act 3 um, on Audible. So that's the kind of thing that I listen to. Probably not what you expected me to say. But I'm, no, I well, no, I, I appreciate yeah, I appreciate. I mean, it sounds like you just have a, a wide range of, of tastes when it comes to literature. And Deborah, we do have to take a break here in about another minute. But I want to ask you: You mentioned audiobooks, and um, do you prefer audiobooks as opposed to just sitting down with a hard copy book and and reading it? What's the difference in in terms of your experiences? Just getting literature, listening to it, as opposed to reading it on the written page. Well, I I prefer reading it. I like the book in my hand, but I travel a lot, and so um, I also read books on Kindle which is a different experience, but I really, really appreciate Audible because if I get into a story that I really like, then that will push me to go like another mile or something or to get up a hill or something like that. And the narration today is just fantastic. Yeah, so like yeah, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, just pushing up the hill. It's a little bit easier sometimes to just uh, play another track as opposed to plugging ahead and, and turning the pages. So, folks, give us a call. We're talking Native Lit today, 1-800-99-NATIVE, and we've got more conversations and another guest coming up right after this break. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, StrongHeart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by StrongHeart's Native Helpline. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, and we're focusing on Native Literature Day, talking with authors who have new books out. Who are some of your favorite Native authors? There's still time to join our conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Tulsa, Oklahoma, is Chelsea Hicks. She's a writer and a Tulsa Artist Fellow. She is Wajaje. Chelsea, congratulations on your collection of short stories that was published earlier this year. Thanks so much, Sean. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Chelsea. And the title of, of your collection of short stories, A Calm and Normal Heart. Tell us why you chose that title. Oh, good question. Um, so, A Calm and Normal Heart comes from the phrase in Wajajaya, non se waspe. And it can refer to a band of Osage people called Heart Stays. But I was working with um, the translation from one of my language teachers. He translated it as a calm and normal heart. And I was really entranced with that idea because of the way it captures, um, I guess, questions of healing or not healing amidst ongoing colonization and with issues of generational trauma. I felt that that was really the theme of the book was this question of wanting to attain or to preserve or to promote uh, Native people having a calm and normal heart. Mm. Yeah, I really like that, Chelsea. 
It's it's powerful the way you describe it. And I I, I did have a chance to read um, uh, almost all of your book. I wasn't able to read all the stories, but I, I I read most of them, and I was just really impressed. I mean, you share such a wide variety of perspectives and themes in in the story in the short stories that you have, and, and some take place in the past, and others have a contemporary setting. And there's a lot of romance involved, and some some of it's like these kind of casual hookups, and then you have long term relationships. There's just a little bit of everything for for readers to take away and. and what was what kind of what was the inspiration there? What what got you focused on on these specific stories? Yeah, well, like Tiffany was saying earlier in the, in the hour, that native opportunities for publishing are more increased, and I guess I wanted to contribute to that as well by widening this image of what is a Native American woman that a publisher would actually accept some person's submission in their manuscript of, say, like my my character Florence in the 1956 story, A Fresh Start, where she is a woman who is very much wanting to assimilate and blend in for the protection of her children, and she is an orphan of the Osage Indian oil murders, the Reign of Terror, and so she's very traumatized that just her identity as an Osage person put her in danger and caused her mother's death. And so she's not, she works so hard to not be recognizable as Native, even though her life is informed by she attended boarding school. And I kind of felt like this is a story that if I expanded that into a novel, I, I don't see publishers, like, does this fit their idea? Like, is that Native enough, right? So mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to just, show like native women are diverse and broad and to present a more realistic image as to what native women are really like beyond just like the powwow kind of image that is is you know a positive image but it's not the only way where we experience ourselves well another aspect that i found really intriguing about your stories chelsea is that the endings they're written in a way that i, I felt was very nuanced and as a reader i found myself asking like oh, okay well what happens next where do the characters go from here and i thought that was interesting is that is that your intent to allow your readers to kind of think their way through some of these plots or or maybe are you planning to revisit some of these characters and stories in future books well i definitely do want to revisit uh florence who I was just mentioning, and her daughter, Lorelai, which is the one in a full tilt. This story, um, the main character is in an abusive relationship in North Carolina, and she flees and escapes and goes back to her family. And so those those two really, I want to write a novel of their whole family. Uh, but for the other ones, maybe so, you know, further down the road. But what I'm kind of more interested in um, generally, I guess in terms of the healing question and the calm and normal heart, like for me, um, indigenous language and Wajajaya has been a big healing thing for me. So I thought, I think a lot about wanting to write in immersion in Wajajaya. Um, but I love your, the way you experience the endings is like maybe a little bit curious and thought provoking. Um, thanks for that. I, I guess with my endings and as a writer in general, I have had a teacher who told me when I was in grad school, she said, you know, Chelsea, based on some of the things you say and the way you write, um, I think you might have a a brain disorder that I have. And it's not a bad thing, but your writing is just really different. And 
you just need to be aware of that. And so I am not that in control of my sense of story. Um, I think it's just sometimes people think it's a bit different. And I guess in fiction, people call that defamiliarization or the surreal or esoteric. So I just try to go with, I govern the story by like, when did I tell the complete story of a certain defined event? And even if there are other questions, I like the idea of the character to kind of live on in the reader's memory. So I I really appreciate that note that you were kind of meditating on. Well, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing. And I, I really appreciate you explaining that and, and how, I mean, ultimately, you know, you're true to yourself in terms of how you just let these stories unfold and, and, and how you create that narrative. I, I really, really, I, I really appreciate that very much, Chelsea. That, that, that perspective, I think, is just so helpful. Let's go to the phones now. We have Anne listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Anne, hello. Yes, hi. How are you? Doing great, Anne. Thanks for calling. Good. Um, I'll... I started listening to your show today on the radio and thought I would continue when I got home because I like to read a lot. And I especially, and I wanted to find out who these women authors were. And I had never heard of any of them. But I wanted to just let people know about a book I just picked up at the library. It's called Glass Beads Stories, and it is by Dawn Dumont. Um, she's a Canadian Indian, and these stories I started looking at, I was like, these will really draw me in. This is a book that I can sit down and probably won't be able to put down once I start it. You know, and, and just to give you an instance, it's like one of them is entitled Stranger Danger, and it's about a young woman a young indigenous woman who goes out on her first white guy date. And I thought, that's incredible. That is stupendous. (laughs) And thanks for calling in with that information. And you know what, um, Chelsea, I wanted to let you chime in on that because she just describes a book, our our caller describes a book of of an indigenous woman going out on a date with the first white guy. And um, in some of your short stories, you have similar dynamics of of native women who are in romantic relationships with with non-native people. And um, it's interesting to get you know, that perspective and do you approach those, those kind of relationships differently when you write as opposed to, to two native people in a romance? Oh yeah. I mean, there's so much explaining that's implied or expected when it comes to a non-native relationship. And, uh, in by Alcatraz, the main character, Mary was raised by her grandmother in the Bay area after her grandmother had attended Alcatraz and just stayed there. So she's kind of um, in an environment that's very contemporary and cosmopolitan, yet she is a bit sheltered and just immersed in kind of the native native issues. And she goes on a date with this guy named Darren, who's just a white guy at her college, and she's just kind of mystified by him. And he irritates her, but she's also curious. And I think whereas it's a relationship with another native person like um, in West Pop, or which means snake, and set in Los Angeles with fashion, um, the 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 issues are more around generational trauma, mutual generational trauma, triggering each other's safety, and of course the immense love and protection that Native people have for each other. 
um, you know, whether the couple, yeah, that they, they do not want to hurt each other, and that can border at times on, on codependence or dysfunction. Um, so I think those dynamics can be really different. Mm-hmm. Another one of the short stories, the, the, one of the ones I, li- I liked the most, I, I found really compelling, was Super Drunk. And it was, uh, there was a young woman, a high school girl, and she was, well, she was basically getting played by this older guy, right? And he was putting, like, notes in these bricks to different women, and, and she, like, busted on him. But one thing I, I did notice, um, Chelsea, I mean, I, I, as a man reading the books, I mean, there, there weren't a lot of really positive male role models in those stories, though. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I first of all want to create positive male characters in the future, and I will. I know I will. But some of my experiences, I think, like like Devin was saying, we do write what we know, and <laughs> unfortunately slash fortunately, um, this idea of like the toxic or native man that needs healing kind of irritated me as I see this on Instagram as this big, huge, um, pejorative popular wisdom that I see today, like Native women need to leave abusive men. Native women need to heal. Native men need to heal. And like this big, like, oh, we can just fix this if Native men go to therapy and if Native women break up with Native men. And I thought that was so ridiculous because I thought, these issues aren't going to go away by shaming people or or having people go to therapy and become isolated and solipsistic. No, we need to talk through, write through, look at, and examine the dynamics that need to be brought to light so they can be addressed. And we don't usually talk about abuse or dysfunction in the Native community for for very understandable reasons, given our family values and that we want to basically kind of uplift Native men because our colonial culture is so denigrating towards them that I thought, you know, I'm just going to kind of focus on these uh, toxic dynamics because it will be possible for us to, you know, think about them some and, and that'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, just a, a really unique perspective, Chelsea. Thank you again for sharing. Let's go to the phones. We've got time for, for another caller, Bob listening on KUNM. Bob, thanks for calling in. Oops, we might have lost Bob. I think we lost Bob. I'm s- yeah, I'm sorry. He's gone. Bob is gone. So, um, Chelsea, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's just the way you describe it there and, um, you know, just some of these dynamics that you write about are so compelling. And also what I, I really like about your stories is, is um, you know, the whole implementation of, of the language and Osage talk as it's called, referred to in um, the stories, you include certain passages and they feature these Latinized spelling uh, of words. But then you also include the orthography for chapter titles, the Wajaje orthography. And um, that just adds a whole new dynamic. So uh, is language revitalization, is that a big part of what you seek to accomplish with your writing? You know, I really have this uh, dream that was kind of instilled in me uh, by this Tejana and Nez Pierce writer and translator named Inez, Inez Hernandez Avila. And she, when I was in a native poetry seminar at UC Davis in 2017, she delivered this challenge to me from poets in Chiapas in Mexico. And they had this message kind of for the native students in the seminar, about eight of us. And their question that Inez 
delivered was, why are you not writing in your languages? And I was really taken aback by that because I thought of Wojajaia as an oral language and that we had a strong oral tradition. And But the more I thought about it, you know, that year we had our um, our orthography be more become more accessible through like an app that our tribe put out. And so I just started learning. I moved to work at our immersion school, .poska.onco.be, and I just learned about this community that, you know, all this work our community is doing to revitalize our language, and I felt so just um, mesmerized by that. And so, yes, I do want to contribute the way I can, but I don't know how much I can contribute, you know, because it's so complicated, and these have a... Have, a lot of complex questions around how we revitalize our language. But one thing I am doing is I'm planning um, or I'm running an indigenous language creative writing workshop, which is accredited through the Institute of American Indian Arts. And it's in Tulsa, we have scholarships available. So I definitely want to kind of put that out there to listeners that if you would like a travel scholarship to take a course with an author who has written a book in their language, which for me, you know, I haven't written a book in my language. I've just incorporated my language into a book. But these authors have written a book in their language or heavily incorporated their language. And there's like seven classes. So I definitely want to contribute what I can through literature. And I do think that it's a good uh, possibility for supporting our languages and kind of making them seem more, um, giving them platforms that are contemporary for our youth to kind of see like, wow, there's a lot of reasons to learn my language, for instance, if I like reading. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my dream. <laughs> I am very okay. uh, excited about that. And um, I, I'm going to have to wrap us up here in just about another 30 seconds, but is there a website or, or where can listeners go to learn more about these scholarships? Absolutely. WTP, or Words of the People, WTPgathering.org, those scholarships are available there along with enrollment information for the classes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, folks, that is the end of our hour for our native bookshelf. I want to thank all of our guests, all of our callers today. We had Devin Mahisua, Tiffany Midge, and Chelsea Hicks, our native writers who showcase some of their work and their insights today. Uh, wonderful show. Appreciate it. What a great way to, to wrap up the weekend. So folks, join us next week for another lineup of discussions about indigenous issues and topics. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Reno Spencer is the engineer. Show McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our National Underwriting Sales Director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our Chief Operations Officer. The President and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Have a safe weekend. If you or someone you know is feeling sad, hopeless, or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, call, text, or chat 988. 988 is a new three-digit dialing code for 24-7 emotional, mental, or substance misuse support. 988 connects you to free confidential support. You are not alone in a crisis. Just call, text, or chat 988. For more information, visit 988.nm.org.
Support by Vision Maker Media, announcing their ninth biennial Vision Maker Film Festival, celebrating together. The Vision Maker Film Festival will present five weeks of American Indian, Alaska Native, and worldwide indigenous films with a new theme each week. Indigenous peoples and languages, Alaska Natives, ooh, scary, and more, all available at visionmakermedia.org, October 10th to November 11th, 2022. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.